15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thank you so much for joining us on this, the podcast affectionately known as Space Nuts, the final one ever this year. Uh, my name's Andrew Dunkley, your host, and with me as always is Professor Fred Watson, astronomer at large. Hello, Fred. Hi, Andrew. Good that you're hosting it, because I couldn't do that. Um, <laughs> I couldn't do what you do, so it's, yes, it's hey. lucky the way things worked out. Isn't it astonishing? We should get together sometime. That'd we be could. Great. We should. Yeah. Uh, actually, a lot of people uh, write to me and ask when we're going to do a face-to-face -face or when we're going to uh, maybe do a vodcast or a live cast or something like that. We, we have talked about it. Um, it's just really hard because we uh, are both particularly busy and not in the same city not even remotely close to one another so it's um it's okay. a little bit difficult once in a while we do get together and we'll make it happen we, we will, will do it maybe we should set that as a target for 2020 andrew that'd be lovely At some that'd point lovely. to do a vodcast or, or something like that I, I think we should do it for the 2028 eclipse Oh, we should. That's right. Uh, by which time I'll be 193. Yes. You'll be 27. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Yes. Now, today, Fred, uh, we've got a, a couple of exciting stories to finish off the year. NASA has announced the landing site for the Mars 2020 mission. That's the whole story, so we don't have to do that one. Uh, and um, uh, they've announced the names of a bunch of exoplanets, and several countries got to name these, including Australia. Uh, we'll, we'll look at those. And we've got some questions. One in particular I'm keen on, Fred, because this came from 13-year-old Michaela in Dubbo, which is where I am. Um, she asked her science teacher and he went, what? No, he didn't. But uh, <laughs> uh, then she asked her dad and her dad told her to ask me. So now I'm asking you. So it's about <laughs> gas giants. And we're also going to tackle Liam's question about what might be the cause of gravity. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, NASA has announced landing, uh, well, the landing site for the Mars 2020 mission. Before we talk about the landing site, maybe we should talk about the mission proper. Yeah, so Mars 2020 is indeed a very interesting uh, mission. It's, uh, it's the, uh, you know, the, the next NASA step in exploration of the red planet. Um, and what it's doing, so recall that um, Curiosity, which is the, the, the rover uh, still active on the surface of Mars, um, that was sent there in 2012 to establish whether Mars was ever, ever habitable uh, by looking at the geology. And basically, it answered that with a yes within about a month of being there. But it's still going strong and exploring the... It's exploring the, the landscape of a place called Gale Crater, mm. which has a mountain in it called Mount Sharp. And Mount Sharp's got lots of outcrops that are very suitable for, uh, you know, geological exploration, which is what Curiosity is doing. And it's doing a fantastic job. So the next uh, step is to look not just for sign... Well to look not just for, for signs of habitability, but to look for signs of ancient microbial life and perhaps even current microbial life on Mars. So this is specifically a mission looking for, looking for life, looking for uh, 
you know, actually looking for li living organisms or evidence of past That's living organisms. That's the we've all been waiting for, really. I mean, it's not the first time we've done it. Wasn't it wasn't one of the Vikings that went up there looking for life yeah. and they, they just scooped up a pile of dirt and went, no, nah, nothing here. Yeah, actually, they didn't. Uh, they said, well, that's interesting. Uh, and then everybody else said, no, it's got to be something else. So yeah, there's, still, yeah. there's still controversy about the, the Viking uh, samples. Yes, that's right. Um, that's right. I remember we but, talked about that. Yeah, but um, the, one of the other things that, um, that Mars 2020 will do is to collect uh, Royal and um, – sorry, not Royal and Sock samples. Uh, <laughs> sorry. You can get them at Buckingham Palace. You can, yeah. Uh, the used sock department of Buckingham <laughs> Palace is well known. For... I think they sell them in the gift shop. Indeed, that's right. Unwashed. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> oh, they'd sell for more. Yeah, they probably would. Um, um, soil, and, soil and rock samples. Um, they'll collect soil and rock samples. <laughs> And store them uh, actually on the on the surface. So there, there must be, you know, Mars twenty twenty has got probably got this box that they can put these rock and soil samples in, uh, and and leave them there uh, for a possible future mission that will retrieve the samples and bring them back to Earth. So in in a sense, what Mars twenty twenty is doing, it's it's kind of the first half of a mission to to find really interesting samples that you'd like to analyze in the laboratory, uh, but it won't attempt to bring them back. But both NASA and ESA, the European Space Agency, they are looking at the possibility of a future mission to go and collect them and then bring them back to Earth. So it's sort of, you know, it's uh, very nicely as, as uh, the JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, who are responsible for this stuff, as they put it, that, that this landing site actually sets the stage for the next 10 years of Mars exploration, uh, which I think is very exciting. And it's so human. Let's, let's pick up some rocks, put them in a box, yeah. and we'll spend billions of dollars and go and get them later. <laughs> well, that's right. It, it's, actually, it's not that many billions of dollars. I know but... it's not. I couldn't help myself. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, you've heard me going on about that before, so I won't. I won't labour the point. It's relatively, you know, it, com considering what we do with this kind of thing, it's it's really pretty economical. Mm. Uh, anyway, to cut to the chase, so the landing site that has been chosen, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. I think it's Jezero Crater is the way it's pronounced. J e z e r o. I beg your pardon. J e z e r o. Uh, yeah, you were right the first time. <laughs> Uh, Jezero Crater, and apparently there's really interesting terrain there. I've seen um, imagery of this place. Um, uh, uh, the, the suggestion is that the, the landforms there go back uh, 3.6 billion years, and that's kind of the time when we think that Mars was warm and wet, and, of course, the time when you, we, you would expect to find any evidence of past microbial life there. Um, it's, uh, so it's actually... Uh, on a on a it's the western edge of a feature uh, which is a well known feature actually in mars um, geography uh, which is called Isidis planitia uh, which is a, a big impact uh, basin um, and it's basically just sits almost exactly on the Mars equator. It's slightly north of Mars's equator. It's not actually that far, Andrew, from Gale crater where uh, where curiosity is. Uh, but, you know, by not that far, I mean a quarter of the circumference of Mars. So it's, um, it's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah, it's uh, it's not it's not anywhere. So they're certainly not within reach of one another in any sense. They are uh, basically 
in independent uh, places on the Martian surface. Uh, but um, th this crater, though, has uh, has some... Basically, it's got a delta in it from an, an ancient river flow. Ah, uh, that's, that's, is that why they chose it? Exactly, yeah. Ah. So it's, it's a 45-kilometre-wide crater, or 28 miles, um, and this ancient river delta uh, is sort of inside the crater, and... It's thought that that would be a place which could have collected and preserved ancient organic molecules and other potential signs of microbial life. I'm reading from the JPL press release at the moment uh, from the you know from the water that flowed into that crater uh, through this delta um, and, and brought sediment with it. You know that so if life is there, that, that this is a great place to find it. Um, the, the press release goes on to say, Jezero Crater's ancient lake delta system offers many promising sampling targets, uh, sampling targets of at least five kinds of rock, including clays and carbonates that have high potential to preserve signatures of past life. Um, lovely stuff. I think it's uh, it, it's uh, really a, a great target. You know, the, the, I had a look at some imagery of the region and it's the, the geography there is so interesting with this crater and this delta system. Mm. The other comment that they make in the uh, press release is uh, the geologic diversity that makes Jezero so appealing to Mars 2020 scientists also makes it a challenge for the team's entry, descent and landing engineers. Uh, along with the massive nearby river delta and small crater impacts, the site contains numerous boulders and rocks to the east, cliffs to the west, and depressions filled with aeolian bed forms. That's uh, basically uh, dunes, um, wind-derived ripples, which you can actually see on, on some of the imagery. Uh, wind-derived ripples in sand that could trap a rover. Uh, that, that these are these aeolian bed forms in several locations. So um, a challenge as well as, uh, you know, as well as uh, a desirable site to visit. Uh, and I think, um, as I understand it, I haven't really read the details of this, but there are... Uh, there's a new technique for landing the rover, which yeah, I was will... just looking at that. So they, they've got a, a, a series of landing points that they are going to consider, but they've also got a bailout point, yeah. as I understand yeah. it. So they've got a contingency built in just in case, which is wonderful. I'm glad the technology exists so that they can say, OK, we can't do that. Let's go over there and yeah, the mission that... can go on. That's right. So they do that in real time, of course, because, you know, the... the if you've got a rover coming down on a parachute in the last stages of re-entry, uh, last stages of atmospheric entry, um, you, you, you want to try and steer it to a place free of boulders, exactly like Neil Armstrong did with Apollo, mm -hmm. with the lunar module, uh, where they were originally going to plan uh, land was was totally total unsuitable. And so the same sort of technique is being applied here with Mars 2020. What the uh, what the rover will do i mean uh, the, the, effectively the, the the capsule in which it's contained as it comes down on its parachute they'll take photographs of the or take images of the landscape beneath them uh, as it comes down and then that will be compared with the the, the, the data taken from orbit and if uh, you know if it shows signs of not being a desirable place they can actually divert uh, the spacecraft to a better landing site so that's a really new and unusual 
you know, an unusual feature of this landing. So that, I think that's uh, really fantastic. Um, yes, indeed. And uh, they're talking about a July launch, uh, which will see the rover hit the surface. Well, we better not use the word hit. Uh, <laughs> land delicately on the surface of Mars when? A few months later? Yeah, it's a typically six-month time. So, you, uh, you know... End uh, of the year. Yeah, the end, it'll be in, the end of next year. That's right. Um, uh, and, and how much longer after that are we going to get data back to say, yes, we've found Martians? Uh, probably the day after, if it's anything like Curiosity was. Yeah. Uh, Curiosity was very quick off the mark with um, analysing the rocks around it. No, a day after is, of course, an exaggeration. But um, I think... Um, I think the uh, uh, you know the, the the signs are that maybe early in 2021 we might know uh, whether Mars was ever inhabited by living organisms. Uh, even though um, there's always controversy with these tests, and um, you know the the last thing you want, as I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, you can't just rely on what things look like. Um, that, which is the morphology? That's the you know the term we use for the shape of things. Uh, you cannot rely on the morphology because it can lead you astray, as it did with in the case of that Martian meteorite, um, uh, ALH. Can't remember its number. A uh, very famous Antarctic meteorite that was thought to have microbial life in it from Mars. Um, and these like, these um, uh, features that are seen in the rock are now pretty well universally accepted as being chemical in origin rather than biological. Mm. So you've got to do more tests than just, oh, it looks like a microbe, therefore it is a microbe. Yeah, like that Yeah, that place we were talking about in Ethiopia. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm looking at a photo of the uh, Mars 2020 rover. It's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's a bit of a gangly-looking thing, got long legs. Yeah. I, see it got, I mean, you know, my criterion for things looking cool is whether it's got folding, automatically folding wing, wing mirrors. Does it have that? I d yeah, I, I don't think so. No. It, it sucks. They might not need that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's become a thing. Uh, mine automatically fold when I bump them. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's not because they've got any electric motors in them. I just hit them pretty hard. Hard and they fold up. Yeah, only because my wife parks too close to me in the garage. That's well, the problem. Right. I'm not going there, Andrew, so let's move on to the next story. <laughs> I've put on too much weight and can't get between the cars. That might be it too. Uh, but, yes, uh, all eyes on Mars 2020, and by this time next year, we may have something to tell you. I don't, Maybe. Know, I don't know what that will be. Um, <clears throat> oh, we found life, or we just found dirt. Could be oh. one or the other, or both. You're listening to Space Nuts, episode 184. My name's Andrew Dunkley, and with me, Fred Watson. Roger, you're live here, also. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, uh, just want to shout out to our YouTube followers who number 777. We're only 223 away from the Magic 1000, which I'm sure we'll have by tomorrow. But um, <laughs> that is fantastic. So thank you so much. If you're a YouTuber... Uh, or you play a tuber and would like to listen to us on YouTube, uh, please log in to youtube.com slash C slash Space Nuts and uh, subscribe to uh, the Space Nuts YouTube channel. All our segments are on there from the very beginning right through to, well, now and beyond. Uh, so uh, thank you for supporting us on YouTube. Uh, greatly appreciated. Now, Fred, to our next topic of discussion, and this is one we sort of added late to the um, to the list because it sort of only came up today in the news, 
And that's the naming of exoplanets, exoplanets being planets outside our own solar system orbiting other stars. Um, of course, they need names, and several countries have been given that honour, including Australia. So uh, what did they come up with? Oh, some great names. <clears throat> Fred, Andrew, Mandu. <laughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my voice there. I was so staggered by the number of names. Yeah, Fred and Andrew, they'd be good names, but actually don't figure in the list. Funny that. I let me <laughs> let me um, let me introduce this by reading uh, a statement from the the, the the chair of the the Name Exo World Steering Committee. So this was a project of the International Astronomical Union, which is the governing body of astronomy. They're the body who actually are responsible for naming celestial objects. Um, you know that that they're the they are the the, the group that um, that actually dictates how objects are named. In fact. All working astronomers are members of the IAU, and I am too. I think I became a member in the 1970s. It seems like a long time ago now. Whether you uh, want to be or not. Uh, I, I'm very honoured to be a member. Stir in the pot, Fred. Well, sometimes we're called the Uber nerds because, you know, that's, we're not just the nerds, we're the Uber nerds. But all astronomers, as I said, are in the IAU. So the um, the... the uh, Chair of this committee, uh, a gentleman by the name of Eric, um, I'm not sure whether I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Mamacek or Mamayek, not sure. I would guess Mamacek. Um, he, uh, he's got a, a little statement here which really absolutely encapsulates what's this, what this is all about. So I'm going to read it. Sure. Um, astronomical observations over the past generation, and it's not that long, actually, that generation, uh, have now discovered over 4,000 planets orbiting other stars, called exoplanets. The number of discoveries continues to double about every two and a half years. And that's an astonishing statistic, but, yeah, quite right. Uh, revealing remarkable new planet populations and putting our own Earth and solar system in perspective. Statistically, most of the stars in the sky are likely to be orbited by their own planets. They are everywhere. While astronomers catalogue their new discoveries using telephone number-like designations, there has been growing interest among astronomers and the public alike in also assigning proper names, as is done for solar system bodies. And so that project, uh, the IAU 100, uh, I forgot to mention IAU uh, is 100 years old this year, and we've been celebrating that by, in fact, we made a, a video representing Australian astronomy, which you can also find online. Um, IAU really quick to that video. Uh, it, it, have you watched it? No, I'm just plucking <laughs> another bad joke out of the sky. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you must explain your jokes to me. <laughs> well, there wasn't much to tell. No, carry on. Um, uh, yeah, so the Name Exo World's global project uh, was basically, uh, you know, it's all about celebrating the 100th anniversary of the IAU. Uh, and, and uh, you know, basically it's, it's a cultural thing. It's, it's all about um, involving people, uh, almost like citizen science, but actually doing something useful, naming all these... Uh, exoplanets. So uh, they were there were a hundred uh, exoplanets selected. Actually, more than a hundred. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, actually, another another uh, of the project managers for for Name Exo Worlds uh, said the IAU 100 Name Exo Worlds campaign provided the public with the exciting opportunity to help with the naming of over a hundred new worlds and their stars and the stars, which is nice too, and and to help the IAU establish a thoughtful naming theme for naming future discoveries in those systems. So yeah, there's a lot you can find it all on the on the web. Um, 
but um, you know, a lot of these names that have been chosen are mythological and part of the culture of the various countries involved, of which there were 112. We had uh, a national campaign here in Australia. We were one of, one of the 112 countries involved. Um, 780,000 people participated, nearly the number of people who listened to Space Nuts, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of people were involved, and they were... Uh, you know, that they were distributed uh, around the world. 24 of those countries were in the Americas and the Caribbean, uh, 38 in Europe, 18 in Africa, 28 in Asia, and four in Oceania, including, of course, Australia. The other three were the Cook Islands, New Zealand, and the Pitcairn Islands. So um, uh, Australia has been responsible for naming one of these uh, worlds and, uh, and, its, uh, and its parent star, uh, and let me uh, tell you what it is. The star is called Bubup, or Bubup, uh, and it's um, a, a Boonwurrung uh, name. Boonwurrung is a language used by the uh, one of the nations uh, of uh, Victoria, uh, the Kulin nation in Victoria. So this is a an Aboriginal nation. Uh, uh, the Boonwurrung language, one of the 200 or so different languages that we have in the Aboriginal culture. Yeah, in our- yeah. for those who may not be aware, before white man um, settled in Australia, the Aboriginal people lived in a multitude of nations, many, many nations right across the continent, and yeah. they had multiple languages and multiple cultures and uh, customs. It's um, it's something that's not really thought about a lot, and uh, it, it's sad that some of that's had, uh, died and gone forever. But uh, there's work to preserve a lot of that as well, which is great. But uh, no, it's good. What's so? What's it called? Yeah, Boobup. That's the name of the parent star, uh, and it's the Boonwurrung word for child. Mm, nice. Uh, the 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 planet is called Yanyan. And Yan Yan is the Boonwurrung word for boy. So it's a child and a boy. Uh, they're quite nice names. Actually, the formal name of the star is HD38283. Oh, that's better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the new names actually kind of eclipse that rather. I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. Uh, have we got any names from other countries that have popped up? I see the Malaysian one is Musamum. No, I'm kidding. That's a form of uh, food. Yes, it is indeed. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, um, they, they actually, uh, that's right. It's, uh, uh, the, the, in fact, the Malaysian one is, uh, is an exoplanet uh, which is called HD 20868. Uh, uh, its planet, it, the, sorry, the star is called Intan. Uh, and the planet is called Baiduri, and I don't know what they mean. Oh, oh they're, they're the names of gemstones in Malay language. Oh, wow. So that's, that's quite nice. Um, the, there are Irish names which are actually from mythological dogs, Bran and Tur- uh, I think it's Turin, mm. uh, and from, from Irish legend, the birth of Bran. Uh, I, I do remember hearing about that when I, when I lived in uh, the UK. Um, but uh, Bran is the name of the planet. Uh, Turin is the name of the star. And they're actually very neatly in the constellation of Canis Vetanici, which you will know is the hunting dogs, a northern hemisphere constellation. Very clever. Very yeah. clever it's the way they yeah. up with that. Yeah. So, 
I think that's a great story. And I think, um, you know, congratulations to everybody who put in their bits for these names and uh, well done. And I think we will see this kind of exercise happening more commonly in the future as time goes on. I would hope so, because it, it, it makes exploration of the universe a, a global uh, cooperative effort, which I think is uh, is very important, and, and right down to naming exoplanets. Uh, if people want to look up uh, what the names of the exoplanets are, they can do that by visiting the IAU website, iau.org, and they have a little news tab there. You can um, you can look up the information and find out what your home country got to name their respective exoplanets, and of course you get to go there as a part of the deal. <laughs> Eventually. What, to the country or the exoplanet? The exoplanet, of course. <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah. Mm, all right. Uh, no, it's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, some of, some of the names are, are quite magical. You're listening to the Space Nuts podcast with Andrew Dunkley and Fred Watson. Zero G and I feel fine. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, I uh, want to send out a, a big, 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 big thank you to our patrons. We've had some more sign on in the last week or so, uh, one in particular that's um, gone above and beyond. Uh, we, we give our patrons names, so depending on, on how much they decide we're worth, you can be a supporter, an ensign, a lieutenant. I, I think the, um, the latest uh, person to sign up should probably be given, like, you know, five-star general status. So uh, thank you so much for your generosity. And if you'd like to be a patron and support this podcast through, uh, you know, a handful of dollars a month, preferably hundreds. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Patreon.com slash Space Nuts. It's optional. You don't have to do it. Uh, but as a patron, you are getting bonus material through our Patreon account, and uh, we will be adding more and more material to that. And uh, you get uh, bonus questions uh, answered through Patreon. So it's patreon.com slash space nuts. Go and have a look. And if that's something you want to do, that's totally up to you. And we uh, we certainly do appreciate the support we get from our patrons and, and everybody for that matter, uh, including those in the Space Nuts Facebook group, which is uh, ever growing. We get more and more people joining the group every day, Fred, and chatting to each other and asking questions of each other. Uh, sometimes they'll drop my name in and say, you really need to get this one to Fred, which I do. And so um, that is uh, part of the deal. But, uh, yeah, uh, it's it's a great little community that's been set up through Facebook. So um, if you're not a member of the Space Nuts Facebook group yet, uh, look it up and, and join. Uh, now, Fred, to our questions, which we always do to finish off uh, the show. And this is a, uh, a question from Michaela, uh, 13 years old. Uh, Michaela's from Dubbo which is where I am, uh, she asked her science teacher this question. He didn't quite know how to tackle it, so she asked her dad. And her dad asked me, and now I'm asking you. Uh, she basically wants to know, if Jupiter, uh, Jupiter was to change from a gas giant into a solid, would it still have an atmosphere? Now, the question is, uh, can gas giants turn into solid objects? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the, the, not not in the normal run of the mill thing. So the, Jupiter's never going to change from a gas giant to a solid object. But you can envisage a situation in which uh, it might, but it, it's it's sort of prohibited by the physics of the universe as they stand. But if Jupiter was cooled down to not very much above absolute zero. <coughs> 
excuse me, <clears throat> then the gases that make up Jupiter's uh, atmosphere, <coughs> sorry, Andrew, <clears throat> got a frog in my throat there it's thinking been a long about, year, Fred. The about voice, Jupiter. The voice is ready turning, to give up. Jupiter turning from a gas giant into something else. Uh, yeah, th what would cause that? Uh, um, a temperature way, way beyond uh, the temperature of space, which is 2.7 degrees above absolute zero. Um, and at that temperature, all of the, the gases in Jupiter's atmosphere would freeze. They'd be, they would be solid, uh, including what most... Jupiter's most, um, you know, the most prolific gas in Jupiter is actually hydrogen, which is the lightest of all the elements, um, and, and that freezes at a very low temperature. Uh, but there's no, if, if you know, if you, if you freeze Jupiter to make it solid, there's no other gas that can remain as an atmosphere. So the answer is no. You can't have an atmosphere and a solid Jupiter as well. Okay. That's fairly simple to answer then. So it, uh, it's, I mean, there was some suggestion that it, if, it, if it could, it would take a long, long time, like trillions of years. So, yeah, it, you know, the, yeah. the circumstances would have to be rather extraordinary, I imagine. If you, if you think to the long-term future of the universe, um, when all the stars have finished shining, um, all turned into basically things that don't, radiate energy anymore uh, the universe slowly cools uh, over periods of probably hundreds of billions of years uh, and eventually you would have a very cold and pretty boring universe with not much happening and that might be a scenario in which gas giants could freeze solid uh, and uh, there would be no atmosphere there and we so, and we wouldn't be around to deal with the, uh, the situation anyway. Or uh, space nuts would still be going to report. I'm that. sure it would, it would still be echoing somewhere through the cosmos in the, in the backwoods of Alpha Centauri or something like that. Indeed. All right, there you are, Michaela. So uh, it's probably beyond the realms of possibility, really. So uh, thank you for your question, though. I really appreciate it. It's a good question. Mm. That's now we uh, turn to Liam Woodman, who is asking uh, a question of uh, gravity. Uh, is anyone looking at the concept of gravi gravity being a result of a form of pressure or similar caused by matter being a type of interference, contamination, if you like, which our universe is trying to squeeze out? The universe doesn't want matter. It wants to be pure, not in the... Uh, uh, a sentient uh, being kind of way. Matter, regardless of how small, creates a hole in space-time and therefore the more matter, the bigger the hole. Uh, bigger holes have a greater pulling effect as matter is uh, disturbing a greater area and so uh, more of the push from our universe is being directed at it. This means even a single atom being the only thing in the universe would feel the effect of the entire universe or, and vice versa. When the fabric becomes so stretched, it breaks, we get a black hole. So uh, therein yeah. lies the question. <laughs> well, the last bit is the bit I would take issue with. Um, the, 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 the preamble there is really, a, um, in some ways, it's just another way of putting, of expressing how we know gravity works. Um, because gravity is a property of the universe itself, uh, it's, uh, a, it is a disturbance caused by matter, um, and it, it basically does uh, – the, 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 the way we 
we express gravity in relativistic terms is a change in shape. It's a distortion of space. Uh, but that manifests itself as a kind of pressure. That's what's holding us onto the ground. We wouldn't use those terms. We would use, um, you know, a force field, really, as the, uh, as the, as the, as the terminology. Uh, and that's what that distortion of space produces. It produces a force field which... Uh, essentially, is what sticks us onto the ground, uh, and to regard it as a, you know, a pressure caused by the universe trying to squeeze stuff out that it doesn't like, um, uh, I think that's just putting it in a, in a rather more human term. Uh, but it's it is the same phenomenon essentially as we describe in uh, in, in in more scientific terms. Um, I, I don't think. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean the, what um, what Liam suggests is that, that the universe is is almost like an, in, an, an irritation. Uh, sorry, that matter is an irritation to the universe, uh, and it's um, quite an interesting way of putting it. But uh, the, the bottom line is that that matter has this property that it changes the the nature of space, um, and um, we we see that as gravity. Now, the fabric being stretched. Uh, to the limits and then breaking, getting a black hole is uh, a different way of putting what we understand black holes to be, which are points of infinite density. So this is a point where, you know, matter uh, has reached uh, a, a, an infinite density because uh, even though its mass might vary, but the volume is always zero. It's because it's a single point, a singularity. And at that point, actually, our understanding of gravity really breaks down. Um, the, uh, you know, we, this single point is uh, a, a, a place where the, our present physics doesn't really hold up. Uh, and we, we find all sorts of contradictions like well infinite density for a start is a contradiction uh, how can something have infinite density well it does uh, that's a black hole and we see them we see the phenomenon in existence um, I don't think it's to do with the fabric of space breaking there is talk in some circles of something called the big rip which is uh, when the universe has expanded so much uh, and we're now talking about hundreds of billions of years in the future, again, assuming that the, con the current uh, uh, accelerated expansion continues. Uh, when it's expanded so much, there may be a point at which space itself cannot hold together and it just breaks down. But how the physics of that work is really, once again, conjecture. People have speculated it. It is, as I said, called the big rip. Uh, you probably find quite a lot written about it on the web, much of which will be from theoretical physicists, uh, probably backing it up with some equations which none of us will understand. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's possible that maybe things do tear. But that's different from our understanding of a black hole. Mm. Uh, Liam also said um, this may also mean a black hole could potentially be caused by a single atom relative to how much matter is in said universe. Uh, I suppose... No. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, black holes. Black if, holes are caused by much larger cataclysmic events, I guess. They are in, indeed, but they're, they, they're, the collapse that produces a black hole. Um, you've got something much, much bigger, uh, whose mass is enough to overcome the forces that hold atoms apart uh, and atomic nuclei apart, um, and you wind up with this collapse to an, an infinitesimal point. So um, the dimensions of a black hole. 
are much, much smaller than the dimensions of an atom. Hmm. But the mass that it contains is, you know, larger than the mass of a star. In fact, of, you know, 10, 20 solar masses. So uh, that is one of the many conundrums that surrounds black holes. And if you want to read about atom-sized black holes, there's this great book called Parallax that's available <laughs> for Christmas. No, I'm kidding. Um, How's your well, book going too, by the way, Fred? Yeah, pretty well. And there's a whole chapter on black holes. So if you want, if you really want to find out about black holes, um, I think the chapter is called The Eye of the Storm. That's in Cosmic Chronicles, uh, which is uh, out in Australasia. But if you are elsewhere in the world and want the English edition, that will be published uh, next month by um, the Columbia University Press in America. And it will be called Exploding Stars and Invisible Planets. Thank you for the plug. No worries. You can also um, buy a copy via the Space Nuts website, uh, website slash Space Nuts. Uh, all Fred's books are there, and a couple of some other Joker's books are on there as well. And all, all our um, uh, Space Nuts paraphernalia, if you want a t shirt. Uh, you can buy a Space Nuts T-shirt. People have been buying them, Fred, taking photos of them and sending their photos back to us of them wearing their T-shirts, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, so, um, uh, thank you for your question, Liam. Thank you, Michaela. And uh, thank you, Fred. It's been a fabulous year. Boy, what, we've gone through so much stuff this year. It's, uh, it's mind-boggling. And uh, the number of people who write to us and say that they just love the podcast because it gives them so much information, they've le never learnt so much, is I guess what it's all about. And uh, we are certainly planning to be back uh, next year to uh, keep, uh, keep it going. Uh, I don't think we'll change a thing. No one's come to us and said, can you change your format? I mean, really? Uh, that hasn't happened yet. Well, yeah, it has a lot of times, but we ignore you. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I want to thank our patrons for signing up and, and just sending a few dollars our way to keep it going. I want to thank uh, all the people who listen. Uh, I want to thank Hugh in the control room who yeah. puts everything together, gets it out there, does all the deals. Uh, he, he, Yeah, he's a tireless worker, is Hugh. I used to work for Hugh uh, for one of the um, radio networks that I worked for, and um, uh, this was his plan when he um, when he left radio, and it's, it's going so well. He should be very proud of himself. Our Facebook followers, our YouTubers, everybody, Fred, but without you it would be nothing. So thank you so much, Fred. You, you are fantastic. It's always my pleasure, Andrew. And uh, yeah, and we yeah we, we we will keep it going next year. Meanwhile, I hope everybody has a fantastic festive season, great holidays, and I'm off to the Arctic to look at the aurora borealis. Oh, so, nice! That'll be lovely. We'll talk about that when you get back, and yeah. uh, many other things, I'm sure. Uh, lots to look forward to in 2020. Thank you, Fred, and thank Marnie. Your uh, partner in crime for um, uh, for her support and ongoing um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for Tolerant. Tolera toleration of <laughs> uh, us using her bandwidth most importantly yeah that's right <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's fantastic thank you again and uh, have a merry Christmas you and Marnie and and Mandu and the Chooks and yep. we'll talk to you again in 2020. Sounds great. You too, Andrew. Very best to you and yours, and we'll speak soon. Uh, thank you, Fred. Fred Watson, astronomer at large, and from me, Andrew Dunkley, have a wonderful festive season. Um, hope you get to spend time with family and friends, and we will look forward to talking to you again in the new year. Uh, from all of us at Space Nuts, Merry Christmas. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. 
This has been another quality podcast production from Tights.com.